0: Father, just speak through your word and speak through me as your servant. And let the gospel be magnified. I pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to be in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 19. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 19. Let's begin reading there. Why then was the law given? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise was made would come. The law was put into effect through angels by means of a mediator. Now a mediator is not just for one uh, not just uh, is not a mediator is not for just one person, but God is one. Is the law therefore contrary to God's promises? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that was able to give life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But the scripture has imprisoned everyone under sin's power so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. The ultimate purpose of the law is, my, is the time of message. Uh, you know, there are purposes for things that we use, Right? Have you ever tried to use a tool for the wrong purpose? Uh, it doesn't work out too well sometimes. And uh, I, what a what a difference it makes when you get the right tool matched to the right task, and it just works works like a charm. Uh, I can remember when I was in the military, we were trying to fix a, a piece of equipment, and I'd been struggling with it, and finally I I went to to one of the bosses I said, "Hey, uh, what about this? I'm trying to get this off, won't come off." And He's, he kind of grinned, and he said, did you get the tool? I said, no. He said, come with me. <laughs> and so, so we went, we got the tool, and guess what? It took like 30 seconds to take it off with the tool. And so uh, the right tool for the right purpose makes a difference. Well, I, you know, I'm, cons- I, I'm convinced that God has given us some tools to use for his purposes. And the gospel was was made for his purpose, but so was the law. Uh, both of these things are tools in God's hands to accomplish God's purposes. And and Paul is, is writing the Galatians. They're, they've been told by some, you've got to keep the law to be saved. And Paul says, this is crazy. Uh, first of all, nobody keeps the law. And secondly, the promise is before the law, and the promise is the important thing. The law came in between to meet some needs and to help point toward the promise. And so Paul is continuing this argument, and he gives us some discussion here. Apparently they said, hey, look, the law was given by angels. So it's especially important. And Paul says, wait a second, the law was given by angels. They had to have mediators. The angels gave... The law to Moses, Moses gave the law to the people. There's actually, you know, several points down. Jesus gives us a promise directly. The promise was given directly to Abraham. The promise comes directly from God. And so the promise is greater than the law. So he's, he's kind of counteracting what these, these uh, Judaizers are saying and how they're trying to magnify the law. Paul's saying, look, the promise is what's important. And so, but the question comes: Well, what is then is the purpose of the law? And so, we need to put our faith and trust in God's promise, and let the law be used in the right way in our lives, so that uh, it points us to the gospel, but also so it points others that we're sharing Christ with to the gospel. Um, so we need to use the, the the things of God according to the purposes of God. Um, the title of message is the ultimate purposes of the law. Uh, So look with me at uh, at, uh, verse 21. Is the law therefore contrary to God's promises? Absolutely not. In other words, the law works with the promises. Uh, One book I was reading, uh, the guy says, hey, um, it's kind of like having a third baseman and a first baseman. The third baseman would be the law. He throws the The uh, pass to the uh, first baseman to get the guy out who's who's hit the ball. He says that they're working together. Uh, The law and the gospel work together. Uh, They're both part of God's plan. And the law of God helps people uh, so that they are prepared to embrace the gospel. So uh, what are these purposes? Well, first of all, the law's purposes were revealing our sin. That's the first purpose, revealing our sin. Uh, if you look at verse 22, the scripture has imprisoned everything under sin's power. Um, <clears throat> the, the, the Greek actually says the law has actually locked all of us together under sin. In other words, there's not a person alive who has not sinned. And the law makes our sin evident. Uh, we've been going through uh, Romans chapter 3 in Sunday school, and he's, he's going through all the different ways that sin uh, touches our lives and affects us and how our whole lives are colored by sin. Uh, from the words that we say when we gossip or when we speak an unkind word, uh, when we um, have filthy speech or profanity or take God's name in vain, Uh, the law points those things out as sin. Uh, When we have an impure heart attitude, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. If I'm not loving God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, guess what? I'm guilty as a sinner before God. And there's not a one of us who have loved God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength at all times. Uh, So uh, when you begin to think about the times that, you should have done good and you didn't do it. Uh, th- how could we even count the number of times? I think there's many times we should have done something and we weren't even alert enough to realize it. So our sin is not just there, it is it's pervasive in our lives. It's everywhere in our lives. And the law helps us to recognize our sin. Why is that important? Because if I don't realize I'm a sinner, I don't think I need a Savior understanding my sickness is the problem, right? My, my sinfulness helps me need, see my need for a Savior. If you think about it in terms of a sickness, uh, when you are sick, there are certain indicators, right? I, I, I've gotten a whole lot of sinus infections over the course of my life. Um, I've got the t-shirt. I know exactly what it feels like most of the time. And so, uh, usually, I'm in denial for a while, because uh, I have allergy symptoms, and so those allergy symptoms are sometimes a little bit similar, and so I will just, I don't want to go to the doctor, I hate going to the doctor, and so I will deny it, and deny it. But finally, you know what, what usually is the clincher? When I can't sleep at night. And once I get to the point where I cannot sleep because of the crud in my head, and (laughs) You know, and I finally break down. Okay, I'm going to call the doctor in the morning and I'm going to go to the doctor. Um, You see, the symptoms that I had showed me my need for the doctor. But I was unwilling to recognize my condition until I saw the symptoms. The same thing is true with salvation, with the gospel. You don't realize you need the gospel, the good news of God's salvation by grace until you recognize that you're a sinner. And so the law is good because it helps us see that. Uh, it helps us. It's kind of like uh, those uh, strips that you use you know, to kind of determine what chemical you're working with you know, in school. Um, it, it, it's a diagnostic thing that you use to show you your need. So the law is good because it works with the gospel in that it prepares people to recognize their sin so that they see their need for the gospel. So, revealing our sin is the first ultimate purpose of the gospel. The second purpose is it redirects our minds. It redirects our minds. Uh, Look at verse 22 again. Uh, He says, uh, He says, The Scripture has imprisoned everything under sin's power, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So that the promise... promise. It's redirecting our minds to the promise. You see, there were two things in the law. The first thing, if you look at the Torah, is the promise to Abraham. And then you have the law over 430 years later that comes through Moses. When you recognize that you're a sinner and that God expects you to keep the law, as as if you're a Jewish person, then, uh in the moral law for, for everybody, right? And you recognize you've broken that law, guess what? There's just one place to look, the promise. Look at Israel's history. How, how did their history go? Well, God gave the law at Mount Sinai, right, to that first generation of Israelites that came out from Egypt. How'd they do? Not good. Matter of fact, they were so filled with unbelief, God says, you've tested me these ten times, I'm over it. You're going to die in the wilderness. And so they, he says, uh, your your children, you said that I'm going to try to bring you into the, the land of Canaan to kill you and let it consume you. Well, your children are going to enjoy the promise that I originally intended for you. And so they wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years and died in the wilderness and the second generation goes in. But they don't do all that great either. They have a they, uh, the sin of Moab. You remember where they come in and they're the Israelite men are sleeping with the Moabite women and, and worshiping false gods. And Phineas comes in there and sticks a spear through two of them. And, and God commends him. Uh, that's another story. But anyway, uh, this all happened with the second generation. Yes, they go into the promised land, but they're not perfect either. Well, then that, that second generation eventually dies off. The ones that Joshua brings into the promised land. and Then you get the book of Judges, and it's one of the darkest places in all the Bible. Over and over again you see them turning away from God and it's getting darker and darker and they're going further and further away from God. Then finally, ah, take a breath of fresh air. David comes on the scene, First Samuel. Then David comes on the scene and you have a time of spiritual renewal. How long does it last? For a while under Solomon and Solomon drifts away from God. Then the kingdom is split and the northern kingdom doesn't have one righteous king. All the way down to 722 B.C. where they are taken into captivity. The southern kingdom has a good king every once in a while. And so they last till finally, after three different uh, attacks by the Babylonians, the city falls in 586 B.C. and they go into captivity. Predicted by Deuteronomy. God says, if you don't follow my my law, you're going to be sitting in captivity. And then I'll bring you back. So they go into captivity. God says, in captivity you will cry out to me, you will again turn to me, and I'll deliver you. Yes, that's exactly what they do. They call out to God. He delivers them from captivity. Ezra and Nehemiah go back, and uh, Nehemiah builds the wall, and Ezra helps motivate them, along with Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, to rebuild the temple. How do they do? Serving God. Not well the first thing they do when they get back to the land of Israel is intermarry with foreign women. The very thing that God had told them not to do because it would lead them into idolatry. And so ne- Nehemiah actually comes and he he rips out some of the beards. I I would have loved to be in there. That. That's better than a this business meeting right there. I mean, he he rips out their beards and he says, look, you're going to do this, you're going to repent. And, you know. And so they... Uh, I guess, grudgingly repent and, uh, and and things are okay for a while. But but even there, there's sin. And you have this sense throughout the Old Testament history of failure. Over and over and over and over again. There's just one place they can look. God's redirecting their minds because there are utter failures in keeping the law. There's just one place to look. That's to the promise. And so you find this sense of expectation building. and um, For 500 years from the time of Malachi uh, to the time of Christ, there's silence. No prophets speak to Israel, but there's this expectation. When is the Messiah going to come? When is the Messiah going to come? When is the Messiah going to come and restore things? and make, We need somebody to come and help us in this mess because we sure aren't, sure aren't doing a very good job of keeping God's law. And God sent Jesus. You see, God was redirecting their minds to the promise. People think, I can live good enough. You know what Jesus said? Be ye perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Is that not discouraging? (laughs) Be ye perfect. I've often thought it'd be fun to be a sibling of Jesus, wouldn't it? Because uh, why can't you do the things like Jesus does? Well, Mom, He's the Son of God. You know, <laughs> well, How would you deal with that? Here's Jesus. He's perfect. He says, what's God's standard? Perfection. None of, none of us fit that standard. What does it do? It redirects our minds. Redirects our minds to the promise. Because I want to tell you something, if if our salvation depends on the law, every single one of us is doomed. We have no hope. Because the law, not only does it reveal our sin, it provokes us to sin. That's what Romans 7 says. The law that was meant to bring life caused this sin nature to rise up within me. It's that, that proverbial thing, you know, you tell the toddler, don't touch that. What's the first thing they want to do? Touch that. Why? You've given them a rule. I didn't want to break it. That's the sin nature. The sin nature rises up against God's law so that the sin, as Scripture says, becomes exceedingly sinful so that we have no hope without Jesus. The law redirects our minds to the promise. That's what the, the Old Testament history is about. It's about telling us, look, without Jesus, you have no hope. That's, guess what? That's why Isaiah 53 was written, to predict what Jesus would have to come do. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought us peace was upon him, and by his stripes, were healed. Isaiah says, look, you don't have hope. You're under God's judgment, but I'm going to tell you something. There is someone who can bring you hope. The suffering servant, the Messiah, is going to come. He's redirecting their minds to the promise. So the law is good because it redirects our minds. I I can remember as a teenager, I was reading through the prophets one time, and uh, I got to that section of Scripture where it says, God says, I hate your worship. You come to worship me, and you're not focused on me. You're thinking about what you're going to do when you get out of church. You're thinking about the next person you're going you're to cheat, or you're, you know, you're not focused on me. And, and I hate your worship because of it. Take your sacrifices away from me. I I can't stand them. They're disgusting to me because you don't have a heart for worship. You know how convicting that was to me? Not that I was planning on going to cheat somebody after church, but I was distracted in church. I was thinking about, "Mm, Boy, that roast mom was cooking sure did smell good this morning. Right? I'm ready. (laughs) Or, Maybe I was thinking about a football game that was going to come on or uh, about something I was going to do with a friend. And, and, and my mind and my heart were not engaged in my worship. And God says, not only is that a sin to me, that sin makes me hate your worship. you realize how desperately hopeless we are without Jesus Christ? Our sin, uh, the, Isaiah says, our sin is as filthy rags. To God and the word that was used is the rags this is kind of gross but the rags the lepers would wrap around their sores and the pus would seep out and they would stink and they would be vile you, you, you've turned your nose up at something like that before haven't you that's what our righteousness is like to God we're so far beneath his standard what is the, why does God tell us all these things Because the law redirects our hearts toward the promise. It shows us that our hope is not found in keeping the law because we've all broken the law. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. There's just one place to look, and that's Jesus Christ. So the law redirects our minds. It reveals our sin. That's the first purpose of the law. Secondly, it redirects our minds. Thirdly, I love this one. It restores our brokenness. Restores our brokenness. How does it do that? Well, look at verse 22. Well, first of all, um, look at verse 21. You need a little background on this. Is the law therefore contrary to God's promises? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that was able to give life, then righteousness would certainly be by the law. That phrase, that was able to give life, is very important. You see, the law can't save a soul. It can't convert you. It can't make you a new creation. It can't cause you to be born again. Only Jesus can do that. The law points you to the one who can restore your brokenness. Look at verse 22. The scriptures imprisoned everything under sin's power. or All of us are locked together under the law, under the the sin that we've committed against the law. So that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ may be given to those who believe, restoring our brokenness by faith in Jesus Christ. Nicodemus was a man of God. He studied the law his whole life. He was a leader in the church. Jesus told him, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Well how can this happen? How can a man go back into his mother and, and be born again? That makes no sense. Jesus said I'm talking about spiritual birth. You need to be born spiritually. This is a new concept to Nicodemus. He says Jesus says are you a teacher of Israel and you don't know this? What's he referring to? Well, back in Jeremiah chapter 31, God said, "Look, you've not kept my law." Jeremiah 31. He 3131 31, uh, and following He says, you've not kept my law, but I'm going to give you a new covenant. And in this new covenant, I'm going to write my law upon your hearts. And and I'm going to bring you back to me. And I'm going to take the initiative. You've not been able to do it, but I'm going to take the initiative to bring you back to myself. There will be a heart change. Ezekiel also talks about this heart change and he says, I will take out your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh that is responsive to me once again. This is a miracle of God by which he brings us back into the right relationship with him. So how does that restore our brokenness? Because through forgiveness and salvation and new life in Christ we can have a relationship with God. And this relationship with God restores our brokenness. I remember um, reading about animals going into nursing homes. You remember, um, maybe you've read some of these articles, but apparently nursing homes, um, people sometimes can have some issues, and having a pet there helps them deal with their circumstance. And so they'll pet on the on the dog or whatever it is it's I prefer a dog rather than a cat <laughs> you know uh, petting the head of, of the dog and it, it does them good emotionally I can remember when my kids were little having a stressful bad day at work and coming home and sitting down in the in the recliner and the kids hopping up in my lap and just it's just therapeutic just to be with them uh, If it's therapeutic for people to be with animals, and it's therapeutic for people to be with their family, to be restored in that relationship. If bachelors don't live as long as married guys, that's another study I read, um, there's health benefits to that and restoration in that. How much more having a close relationship with God will restore your brokenness? I love... Uh, I love the stories about Jesus reaching out to sinners and loving sinners and restoring them. I, I think of Mary Magdalene. She's one of the most remarkable examples. She was a prostitute, and she had seven demons inhabiting her body. Can you imagine that? Talk about broken. Jesus, I guess, commands the demons to flee. The Bible doesn't really tell us the details of it. But he set her free from them, and then he forgave her sin. And so restored is she that she's the first person God gives the privilege of seeing the resurrected Christ. Um, he gave her hope in a future. I, I love that scripture in, in the Old Testament that talks about all of the brokenness in Israel, and, and God says, I'm going to restore the years the locust has eaten. Some of you may may be thinking back to some times of your life. You think, well, that's just locust time right there. Uh, Talk about brokenness. I feel with regret about that time in my life. Jesus is, is in the business of restoring our brokenness. And the beautiful thing about it is, is the law in showing us that we need Christ points us to the only one who can heal our brokenness. And that relationship with him does it. So, the law, what are the purposes? It reveals our sin, it redirects our minds, it restores our brokenness by pointing us to Jesus, and it recreates our hearts, again, by pointing us to Jesus. Recreates our hearts. Verse 22, again, that uh, the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. When you believe, Jesus Christ makes you a new creation in Christ. When you put your trust in Christ, you're born again. How does this happen? It's a miracle of God that God does. And it begins a process called eternal life. Jesus said this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life is that moment that you come to know Jesus Christ. And so God recreates our hearts and sets us on a new path. And here's the potential of it. Ezekiel is given a vision in in the book of Ezekiel, and he he looks out and he sees dry bones. Everywhere looks, dry bones. He says, God says to Ezekiel, Israel says, my my hope is dried up and, you know, I don't have a future I'm summarizing. But he asks Ezekiel, can these bones live? Have you ever felt that way about your own life? Can these bones live? (laughs) Lord, what can you do with me? The great thing about it is if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away, and all things are become new. God tells Ezekiel, prophesy to those bones. So he's preaching, preaching to these bones. The muscles come together, the skin, the, the tendon sinews and so forth, the, the skin comes over them, and they're still laying there. They're, now they have bodies, but they're laying there. And Ezekiel prophesy the Spirit of God to come uh, in this this mass, you know. And so he prophesies again. And the Spirit of God comes and breathes the breath of life into these bodies and they become a mighty army. What is God saying? He's given a very vivid and powerful illustration to Israel. You think your hope is gone. You think your life is over. You think you failed. You think it's over. It's finished. There's no hope. But when you become into a relationship with Jesus Christ, you see that's what he's looking forward to. When you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, he's going to recreate your heart. He's going to raise you up from your spiritual deadness and give you hope in the future. Um, when's that going to happen? It's happened for some Jewish people. And many Gentile people today, right? But the Bible says in Zechariah, at the second coming of Christ, when Jesus comes in the clouds of glory to deliver Jerusalem, that they will look on him whom they have pierced, and they'll mourn because of him. And you know what Jesus is going to do? In that moment, he's going to resurrect Israel into the mighty army, spiritual army, that he had always intended them to be. And the millennium, I believe, is it's going to be a great time and we're going to rule with Christ and all of that. But I believe the millennium is primarily for Israel. So that God can fulfill the plan that He always had for Israel. But sin was in the way, and Jesus is going to come set it all right, and Israel will be restored. It's a beautiful picture. In terms of a nation, but it's also a beautiful picture in terms of an individual, because that's exactly what Christ does in the heart of every person who puts their trust in Jesus Christ. He makes them new, He resurrects them. The Bible says, You were dead in your trespasses and sin, but you were brought to life by faith in Jesus Christ. He recreates our hearts. So the, the purpose of the law is that it points us to Jesus, and when it does, we find what we need. We find somebody that can restore our brokenness. We find somebody that can recreate our hearts and give us a hope in the future. So the law is good. It works with the gospel, and it shows us our sin. It redirects our minds away from trying to perform for God to putting our trust in Him, just receiving eternal life as a gift. And then it changes who we are by pointing us to Jesus. And when we put our trust in Him, He restores our brokenness and recreates our hearts. And this is going on. Um, I love what the Scripture says. Um, We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the power is of God and not of us. Though outwardly we are perishing, this, this old body, I'm starting to get gray hair, and my joints hurt sometimes, and there's some things happening in my body. But though this outward body of clay is perishing, we have this hope that we are renewed daily within through the Spirit of God. Um, God, every day that you live, will restore your soul as you draw near to Him. He'll recreate you. His mercies are new every morning. If you blow it yesterday, hey, praise God you got a clean slate today. Amen? But He'll also Conform you into the image of Christ. I love what it says in Romans 8. We're predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. If you're a child of God, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I can tell you something. It's a sure thing. You will be conformed to the image of Christ. Isn't that encouraging? Why? Because this powerful work of God who recreates our hearts. It doesn't stop at salvation. He continues to help us in the process as we work with him. And then ultimately when Jesus comes, sin's gone and we're conformed. What a a wonderful thing. Ultimate purpose of the law to reveal our sin, to redirect our minds, to restore our brokenness, to recreate our hearts by pointing us to Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad? that God showed us the futility of trying to do it ourselves so that we could look to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for...